podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Unapologist Podcast. Today we have Jesus's favorite apostle, Christopher Paulson. <laughs> I, that... I, all, all I am is someone trying to do my best. Yeah, and all I am <laughs> is the guy that not even Judas would hang out with, Vito oh. McKenzie. <laughs> so here we are. Chris, this is this is a surreal moment for us. This it's is a big moment. This is our season finale. Season one finale. Season, season one finale. finale. And there we were, uh, provinces apart. And during a, during a global pandemic lockdown, and we decided, hey, let's start a podcast. Because but, we wanted to chat with each other more. Uh, but this was seeded way before the pandemic oh, started and we've been talking about it and we thought, Hey, Years we got nothing but time now. So right? let's do it. And, and here we are and it's just evolved. It's amazing. And we're, we're thrilled that we get to end our season on a high note. Well, they're all high notes, but this one is especially high because we have Melissa Highfield with us. Hey, we Melissa, sure thank you. Thank you for joining us on the show. Hi, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, it's, we're, it's, we're excited to talk to you. So pumped. Chris, why don't you introduce Melissa to our audience? Well, I'm very happy to do that. So uh, Melissa Highfield, uh, listeners, she is, uh, she's quite the teacher. She is, has been teaching for 13 years. She has done it all. She's done elementary. She's done middle school. She's done high school. Um, her current position, she's a VP at a K-8 school, and she teaches uh, grades 7, 8, and 9 social studies on point five. Uh, she is innovative. She's always bringing in new things to classroom. She's making uh, huge waves in uh, in her whole school. She's done a lot of stuff that has involved the whole school. School been really involved. Uh, she's she's been to a lot of different schools too. Uh, I've had the pleasure of working with Melissa uh, both in terms of classroom stuff, but also in terms of kind of some of the behind the scenes stuff. And um, I'm really excited because today she's going to be talking to us a little bit about unbiased classrooms, but also kind of, you know, guiding students to think for themselves. Um, so we are so excited to be talking with you tonight, Melissa, uh, and welcome to the show. Thank you. That was quite the introduction. I'm not well, sure I can live up to it, but I'll try. Oh, well, trust me, our... I guess the first, first words out of your mouth when we get going, everyone will be like, yep, this is this is the way to go. Sold. Uh, and everyone says that. Everyone says, wow, you know, when you put my life down on paper, I look pretty good. <laughs> um, except for when we do it for me. And then it's just <laughs> like, oh, I should have worked harder. <laughs> uh, the World Teaching Award, Chris. World Teaching Award. It's someday. Coming someday. It's coming to you. Yeah, no, and, and that's and that's why we br we bring you on, Melissa, and, and all of our guests, because sometimes we don't recognize that even uh, all the accomplishments we've had. And when we put it on paper, we're going, oh, yeah, I guess that, that is quite the journey, which actually leads us to, to where we start with all of our guests. And, and one of the key threads that we have noticed throughout this whole podcast is that every teacher has a story that has led them to being the teacher that they are today. And please t tell us your story. How, how did you decide to get into education and then become the teacher you are now and the place you are now between admin and teaching? Please tell us your story. So um, that's interesting because like I've heard people's stories. I'm like, wow, that's fantastic. I, I wish I had a story. And I always have felt like I don't have a story for why I got into education. And and when I graduated high school and, you know, it's time to apply to universities, it was like, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll go into teaching because that seems like something that would fit my personality. And it just seemed like a really natural path for me. What do you mean by that? Like, it fits your personality was a natural path? Like, just Expand on that. like helping others and connecting with people. Um, I'm like quite the extrovert. So just being around people all the time is important. Like I need that. <laughs> yeah, th th That's interesting. Though. That, that's good. The, the, those are the traits you bring up that you, you associate with teaching that you're helping others. You're an extrovert. You're a people person, like, you know, cause the other route is like, I just want to tell people what to do. And <laughs> well, I also like doing that. Okay. It's a marriage of both. <laughs> That's the admin side. No. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, it just, it was weird to like consider that as a, just a really natural path and feel 
natural. And I really didn't question it along the way on why I was doing it. It just felt right. And there's a lot of things in my life that I'm just like, this is just feels right. And this is just feels like the place I'm supposed to be. And I really bring faith into that. And like, that's the path that God wants me on. And that's why I feel so at peace with it. So, oh, go ahead. Go, no, go keep going. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So like, I never question those things when it feels right. And I think that's a lot of people, right? When things are going right in your life, you don't, you don't question. Well, you know, Um, don't, uh, don't, if the baby's asleep, don't wake it up. Right. (laughs) (laughs) What would you do that for? So, um, yeah, moving through education in my first and second year, actually in the first three years of teaching, I had this amazing principal. She was a seasoned principal. She had actually retired as a principal in another province, moved to Alberta and was a principal at the school I started teaching at. And she was so supportive. And she said, you know what, you should really consider administration. And I was like, that's crazy. I'm in my first and second year of teaching. This is overwhelming. I don't ever want to go back to school and write another paper. So I like, that just seemed ridiculous to me. I was like, no, I'll be a teacher. I'll be a teacher for life. And this will be great. Um, And then she started giving me opportunities and opportunities to go to conferences and, and to think beyond my classroom and I had an opportunity to sit on my school improvement team and deliver content to our staff. And I was like, wow, like this feels really great being able to lead others and, and learn more. And I then realized that lifelong learning that they talked about in university that I would roll my eyes at, I, I had caught it somewhere. It was the worst ever because that means that I was going to have to spend money on things. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you've even, um, you've had some training from some ATA training, right? You, you deliver that, those courses too, don't you? Yeah, I'm actually not doing it, but I did do the, um, it's the association instructor position with the ATA. And so even that was to clarify for our listeners, ATA is the Alberta teachers association for those of us out of province here. Keep going. Sorry. Sorry, Vito. We, we, the only, the, the only person from not from Alberta just clarified what the Alberta thing was. <laughs> well, you know, it's just we we get so used to acronyms in education oh, that we so have to sometimes be aware some of them are local. Uh, and please, please keep going. I'm I'm really fascinated by this because I have a few points that I want to uh, hit on when you're when you're done. Please keep going. Yeah. So I took that guidance from my principal and I really thought about it and then I moved into another school that was when we opened a brand new school in in a grade 7 to 12 Um, that's when I got an opportunity to work with Chris and again wonderful principal wonderful leadership and again someone who is so good at at building that foundation within others to be a great leader. And I was given more opportunities and it's always felt like things have just fallen into my plate. And I went, wow, this is great. People just give me these things and provide me with these opportunities. And I've been so blessed in that way. And, and that was just an extra step. And so from there I was guided to, um, to take on those leadership roles. I completed my master's degree through UPEI uh, and then, you know, continued to seek other opportunities to kind of make sure that I was a well-rounded teacher and a well-rounded leader. And what I find amazing is that you kind of, as you said, fell into teaching, like, I guess I'll teach because it fits my, my skill set. But then your first year teaching, you have an administrator seeing your potential and guiding you on that and saying, you should really head into this role, which, you know, speaks volumes about what you must have been doing and the impression you must have made, because it's not very often you have 
a, a administrator or anyone recommending someone move up to that role, especially that, that early years, in the career, yeah, that early in their career, most people would say, "Oh, I want to go to admin," and then uh, an administrator or somebody else will say, "Okay, well, let me help guide you." But you you were guided really early on, given those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Like I find that amazing. That's one like that speaks volumes about your first years and and just what your potential was and what you've lived mm-hmm. up to. Yeah, I think I've just had a lot of really fantastic people to guide and lead along the way to. And even in university, having really amazing professors that guided us and those people who were looking to do more than just go in and teach a class and teach a subject, they were willing to work with us and and show us how to connect and and build those relationships. And I think it speaks to to some, something that Vito and I have talked about quite a bit on the show is that, uh, you know, we have had some really fantastic admin in our lives. And, um, you know, their fantastic abilities are, are breeding the next group of fantastic admin. And, and, and that's that's really a blessing for any kind of uh education industry you know uh to to be able to look and say like yeah like these admin were amazing and gave me these opportunities so as an admin now i i'm going to be able to kind of follow in their footsteps i think that speaks volumes to kind of the passing of the torch Mm -hmm. and so let's jump into it then jumping right into it right right into it right into it because you've had this journey but i want to i want to really hammer down on the classroom because you focused on some pretty important topics, which is why, you know, we want to talk to you about it. And I want to first explore teaching young people to think for themselves. <laughs> like how, how do you go about guiding students to think for themselves, especially when so often they're simply told there is a right answer and you just need to repeat it. Like how, how do you go about that? Um, I just, I love to argue and, my mother will back me up on this 100%. I, it's like I turned 12 years old and she wanted to ship me out because she couldn't say anything without me arguing something. So at some point along the way, I've been taught to think for myself, which is dangerous for parents of teenagers. Um, and then when I started teaching, I started teaching in junior high, grade seven and eight. And they have so many opinions, right? And so taking that and making sure that it's, first of all, it's their opinions, that it's not something they just saw on the internet is really important and having them think about the things that they're sharing and seeing and the things that they're saying, which is really difficult. But it's just, it's really fun to do and I love trying to teach them to do this. And I got tons of ideas. My husband's a fantastic teacher as well. He's actually and, coming on uh, season two. <laughs> I'm like, I squeezed into season one. <laughs> I'm not competitive at all. But he and he drives me on this, too, is that we love to argue with students different issues. So if we have there's an issue that the students bring up and they argue a side of it, we argue the other side doesn't matter what our personal opinion is. And then the kids start to sway over because our arguments are so sound to our side. And they're like, oh, yeah, I guess you make a good point. And that's when you immediately switch and start arguing the other side. So it totally spins their heads around and they have no idea what's happening. And they're like, wait a second, you just changed your opinion. And I said, well, I can see both sides. Mm. And it's that first foundation of like, wait a second, you can argue both sides of a, of a point and it blows kids' minds sometimes. So how, how, how do you make sure they don't get lost in all that? To, and I mean like, oh, I guess both sides sound good. I don't know what to think anymore and I'm done. Mm-hmm. How, how do you prevent that from happening? I, I think... On an issue, kids can definitely get lost. And really, they're they're still kids, and it's okay that they don't have a solid opinion on things. 
and sharing that with them is really important that you're first allowed, first of all, you're allowed to change your mind. Second of all, whatever your opinion is, you should have a reason for it and you should have something to back it up. But I really like to start small, really small things and small issues that come up and that are important to them. And it usually deals with things around the school. Give me an example. Dress code. (laughs) Oh, yes, yes. You always get an opinion on that. Oh, that's a good one. Right. So they have such strong opinions on dress code. And it's one of those things where as the teacher, I take the opinion of of whatever the school rule is and I drive it home. Um, And they will never agree with me. That's one of those things that they're never going to jump on my side. So Mm. they have their foundation and I push them to give me sound reasons on why their way should be, be better. Why their, their way should, you know, be the way that the rule is. If they, if they ever have like such a compelling argument that you're like, Hmm, that makes sense. Has that ever gone to like change policy or anything? Not for dress code. I've, I've always, I've always taught in a Catholic school. So I, like modesty is always going to come into play. I mean, just in, in general, and, but there are some things that the kids have said to me and I said, wow, that's a really good point. Why don't, why don't we write a letter to the principal and share this point with her and see what happens? Hmm. And they go, oh, it's not that important. <laughs> right. Can't show. It's we usually care not much. important enough. Yeah. We can't show we care too much. Can't we just walk yeah. down and tell her, I don't want to do a writing assignment. <laughs> right. Yeah. Can we just go argue with her? I'm like, no. So, I mean, one year I had, uh, I had a elective where the kids were doing social justice projects and they realized very quickly that they needed money to do pretty much anything. And so the primary goal of the course was fundraising. And I had two kids that they were, they were so focused on how they were going to raise funds. They were like, we're going to sell snow cones. (laughs) (laughs) And Chris is laughing because that snow cone machine is still in the building. I bet. It is still in the building. I had We're going to raise students. money by selling snow cones, but first we got to get money to buy a snow cone machine. <laughs> right. But here's oh, what they did. They boy. did a presentation for the principal. They did their research. They made a graph. They did charts on how much money they would spend, how much money they would make, and they presented it to her. But those kids are, are thinking on their, their for themselves. And at every step of the way, I would go, okay, well, what if she says this? what will be your response? Then they would tell me and I say, okay, where's your data to prove that? And then they would go and do their research and put it into their presentation. And then they set an appointment date with her. They went with their PowerPoint presentation and their ties. They literally dressed up. It was the cutest thing. Grade eight students. It was amazing. And they dressed up and they presented her the presentation. And she called me immediately after. And she was like, that was the cutest thing I've ever seen. And calling Grady boys cute is like, right, they don't want to be cute. They want to be cool. But it was adorable. She's like, I've asked them three questions that they have to get more information on. She's like, and when they get that more information, I'll give them a final answer. Wow. <laughs> like, there is a snow cone machine, though. She did purchase it. Uh, yeah. And I... the deal was the first set of, like, the first profits until the machine was paid off went back to the school. So that's amazing. So they actually got to see how their thinking led to a tangible outcome in their school and change. Like that's wild. Anytime where it can be hands-on, it's so beneficial. That's wonderful. On on a side note with that dress code in my grade eight classroom, you know, every day I talk about a different book. I do book talks every day. And one of the books I bring up to the girls in the class is a girl, a book called Moxie. And it's a group of girls in a high school fighting back against the sexist kind of patriarchy in their their high school where the football team gets away with everything. And one of the chapters deals with the dress code. Oh and the way goodness. and the way they get around it is they all wear bathrobes in the day because that doesn't actually break dress code. 
Oh my goodness. Nice. <laughs> so the, so the girls so the girls in my class all read that book and they love it and they they, they they've all planned to do this. It's never happened yet, but uh I thought that I, I like to feed them that just because I'm a jerk. Someday That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, push that dress code. I tell the girls, I was like, you know, if you're wearing a crop top, you gotta wear high waisted pants with it. I was like, it's all about balance and, and modesty. So <laughs> those two things go together fine. Balance yep. and modesty. Okay. Well, well, staying on the point then. So yeah. <laughs> I'm not balance and modesty, but <laughs> this is the balance and modesty show with we we've shifted completely. <laughs> we've shifted yeah. completely. I don't know. Getting well, and this is a middle school, you're getting this independent thought out of them and you're challenging yeah. them. And you're not accepting, okay, that's that's fine. What do you mean by that? Go deeper. What if I say this? What if I change my mind? Uh, overall, though, like, what does a classroom, like, so you talk about a specific project here, but what does a classroom mm-hmm. of an independent thinker look and feel like? How, how do you it, cultivate that kind of culture? It takes it takes a lot of um, of groundwork right off the bat. And for me, the first thing that I do is I make sure I share my life and what what I'm about and who I am and and I tell them that you know I want this to be a safe place and that it is really up to them and how they treat each other because you know I'm not here to judge you but if you judge each other this is going to be a horrible year and and so I lay that foundation of this is your classroom like this is our classroom together and um and when I am able to share my life and they feel comfortable that um, that I've built that trust with them, then they're more willing to let that guard down. And is there something in there about like, again, I keep saying we talk about this on the show a lot, but we do. Um, there's some value in kind of being a real person in there too. Like if they, if they, if they buy into you, then they're going to be more open to, to actually being themselves and thinking for themselves because they know they're not getting what we call TeachBot 2000. They're getting Mrs. Highfield, Mr. McKenzie. Um, and I think that goes a long way with uh, you know cultivating a culture where students are going to open up and actually be themselves and not just be StudentBot 2000, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, I've I've been in situations where um i've been in in teaching situations where the students will have me as a teacher and the students will have somebody else and they come to me and they they say things about another teacher and it's then that i need to be supportive of the kids but i flat out tell the kids that if you come and complain to me about another teacher i'm gonna have to back them up yep Right. I also tell them why. Right? I say, here's my code of conduct. And whether you'll never know if I agree with you or not, because this is what I have to do. And that's my loyalty to my colleagues. I was like, but that also means that I don't have to tell them what you're saying. I'm just not going to respond to you about it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm, I'm, I'm a voice to hear, but I'm a sounding yeah. board. I'm not going to fuel your fire. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. So that they can vent and they need to preface that with, I need to vent miss. Go for mm. it. <laughs> but, but that's good that they know that direction because if you did agree with them, that comes off bad off of you Ooh. as well. Right. I mean, I think that's something that we as teachers or people who teach need to be quite aware of. For sure. Is that even if we do have an issue with another teacher Mm -hmm. and the way they go about it, maybe there are some issues. If we say that to our students, then, well, then we actually look like jerks, even if they agree with us. Yep. Yeah. And you lose face with the kids too, not just with your colleagues. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. it, It becomes that they come, they'll come to me because... I have built that trust and I've had, I've had, you know, other teachers that teach the same group that, you know, that are the same way as I am, that they're super open and, and they build that relationship and trust. But I've also had that, you know, teacher bot that Chris was talking about where it's, they don't share anything 
they are teacher, you are student, you are here to learn, I will give you information. And I'm, mm. I, that's just not my philosophy behind teaching. That's not how I believe kids learn best. And what I'm hearing from this too is that that building that relationships, uh, like front loading your year with relationship building is really important to cultivating independent thinkers because they feel safe and supported in their independent thinking. You know, they may be come to you with something and they have this wonderful idea. Um, but because they have a positive relationship that you've built already, you can actually say, well, that's great that you have that idea and don't stop having those ideas. But literally everything you said is actually quite wrong, but, <laughs> but that doesn't mean I don't want you to start, you know what I mean? So that relationship building is huge. Um, so then I guess, uh, to, to keep going forward with it. Um, and we kind of hit on that one where if you're going to cultivate independent thinkers, sometimes independent thinking comes at you in some different ways. So what other kind of like management issues do you see when you've cultivated a group of independent thinkers? Because it seems to me as though that's a that's a high energy, that's a high vocal, that's a pretty management heavy class when you give everybody uh, the power to think for themselves. Yeah. And so a few years ago now, I had the opportunity to um, do a little work with the seven habits of highly effective people. And um, the school I was in was turning into a leader in me school. And that drastically helped my management of kids of this and without even realizing it. Um Habit number five is seek first to understand, then to be understood. And holy goodness, do I use it all the time. I'm sure the kids hate it. I like write it on my board. I was like, I don't, the other six habits I don't care about. That's not true. They're really great. But this is the one. <laughs> this is my habit. This is making habit. Yeah, this is the one I want to focus on because... And I, and I said it to a student this week, if you listen to others and you understand them, you have to speak less. For sure. Like oh. you don't have to say as much. You listen, you understand what they're saying, you figure it out what they need, and then you either can argue against that and use your words very carefully, or you can provide what they need. And then the issue is over. I'm getting vibes, Vito. I'm oh, vibes. It's serious vibes. Serious vibes. Serious vibes. But I want to take this even further now because we've had Rola Tim Shirani on the show who has this kind of same idea that build a community, independent thinkers. But one area we never went with her and we touched upon it here is, you know, you leave the classroom and you go to another teacher is like, this is information I give to you. And this is what you repeat to me. And students find a lot of comfort in that because, okay, I don't have to think for myself. Mm -hmm. how, how do you deal with students who just refuse to go down this path? Just, just give me the answer. And, and, and even attached to that is this idea of like, I, I, I'm seeing it with learned helplessness. Like, oh, that's tough. Uh, you know, I just can't. So just tell me what to do. Yeah. What do like, you I, how, what do you do with that? Like we never went down that path of roller, but we're touching upon it here. I want I want to know like that how, how would you says, deal with that? I don't I don't want to give you my opinion. I want the right answer so I can put the right answer on the test or the assignment. You know what do you say to that that student? Yeah, those kids struggle in my class, and I I don't have many of them because I, I don't know why I haven't experienced that. Maybe it's because right off the bat that's just the status quo that I want your opinion. <laughs> but um it's it's that it's the push it's well well what do you think about this or if it's do you like this yes or no it's really simple opinions right well do you like this yes what's your favorite part kids who um Students have come across who want the answer, don't want to work for the answer. They want it to be easy. They want it to be to be simple. And it's usually because they struggle academically. And 
school has been hard for them. And so they just, they're tired and they, they just want to get it over with. And so when you start small and things that seem easy to them, like, do you like this? That's easy to them. They can tell you yes or no. And then what's your favorite part? That's pretty easy. Uh, Vito, you mentioned you do a book talk. I've done book talk assignments in language arts. I love it. I could let the kids choose whatever book they want. I had a kid do a Garfield comic book, a book talk on it. Every kid in the class wanted to read that comic book. But it's, who is the author? When was it made? What is it about? Give me a summary. What's your favorite part? And read it to us. Do you find that uh, with younger students, they're more open to to this idea of free thinking, saying opinions? Because I'm thinking like sometimes, you know, that student who's in their grad year, who's working towards diplomas, who's in like a dash one course is like, no, I need the answer because I'm doing the test so I can do that. Do you find like working with the younger kids and cultivating it at a younger age helps to grow it so that when students do get older, it's it's kind of already there? Absolutely. And actually, the the Alberta Social Studies curriculum follows that, that inquiry that build your opinion and, and, and foster that type of questioning and that type of learning. And if you follow it through, and everyone is doing it in a similar way, by the time the kid gets to grade 12, they know what happens. They mm-hmm. know what the expectation is. The issue is when People aren't focusing on those skills and they're just focusing on this is the knowledge. You need the knowledge. Now I'm going to test you on the knowledge instead of here's some information. What can we build with this? So what do you, ba- what do you think if this happened? About exactly. balance program. Take it yeah. all in. So it's don't don't throw the knowledge out, but but have have equal weighting to skill building and, and opinion based and, and independent thinking that is guided by the knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, it does drive students crazy at first when they're not used to it. <laughs> I, me- I remember when I was teaching uh, grade eight and uh, to pa- meet the teacher night and uh, a student comes in, one of my, you know, high flyers and wonderful student. She comes in with her parents and she introduced me. She goes, oh, can't stand his class. He makes us think. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that comment. <laughs> right? And I was laughing. I was like, yeah, I don't give answers to my class. And it, it drives them crazy because I'll be like, oh. I've only had the first what? part of that comment. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, Mr. Polson, I, I've heard nothing but praise. Oh, you have to stop beating yourself up. Lies. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it, you're right. Like it's okay. So I'm glad that you you brought up that idea that school has been tough for them, and they just want to get it over with, and they're tired. I, like that. That's huge. I, I'm feeling vibes off that, Chris. Big vibes. Big vibes. Um, but you know what yeah. I think? Uh, you know what I think, Vito. So Melissa, Melissa has uh, she's really tackled two pretty big uh, titans here. Let's jump over to that other area of focus really quick. Um, the unbiased classroom, mm. first and foremost, what does that mean? <laughs> no, but you know what? I think it's a good question because I think, um, that's kind of a, uh, that's kind of like an area of thought and an area of study and an area of development right now that is, is kind of, I'd say in the, in the spotlight. And I don't know that everybody is fully aware of that. So when you say an unbiased classroom, what do you really mean? Yeah, so there's definitely no such thing as an unbiased classroom, first of all, Um, and I truly believe that. But by unbiased, I think it just, it really means that we're not judging and we're we're recognizing our bias. I'm in the middle of teaching grade nine online. It's a weird situation. We get on Google Meet. I see none of their faces. They all have their videos off. None of them will unmute to speak to me, but they will type furiously in the chat. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. they will just chat all day about topics and issues and they're fantastic. But they share an opinion and I say, okay, guys, I wonder what their bias is on this. And we talk about having a bias and you have bias based on your experiences. And that's not a bad thing. Right. So 
I think when we, we hear the word bias, we automatically think something negative. But it's only negative if we can't recognize it in ourselves that this is why I think this way. Right. So I have um, a bias based on how I was raised. Right. I grew up in um, in an upper middle class family to parent household. I have an older sister. I was quite privileged. Really like no trauma, nothing. I'm good to go. Right. No barriers in my way. Well, I need to recognize that when I'm teaching that that is my experience and it will drive my opinions. And I think when we recognize our bias, we can start seeing the other side. And that kind of goes into that unbiased classroom. Uh, wow. Uh... The, let's take this further then. Uh, it seems as though the unbiased classroom really starts with you as, as the teacher, like if, if I'm hearing you correctly. And what are some things then that we as educators can do to, to build that unbiased classroom? Because you, you say you have to be able to recognize it and understand it's not bad. You just got to know it's part of you and it's what drives your opinion. So how can we start to go about that as educators and, and what does that look like in practice? Yeah, so I think anything in a classroom starts with the teacher, right? It's it's top down. Everything trickles down to the kids. They need a leader, and if they don't have a leader to guide them, they're going to run amok, right? And I'm sure we've all seen classrooms that look like that, right? Paulson, Paulson, your um, classroom looks like that, but it doesn't feel that way. that's because i've run amok (laughs) (laughs) that's a trickle down the teacher is running amok and so the kids follow suit no they're fantastic um but it's that it starts with the teacher and really you just have to guide them and and really i i love taking the foundation from like lower elementary and um, teach, I, so teaching high school, I had a student go, she, she, tr- she teaches like, like she teaching elementary, <laughs> like the kid knew I taught grade eight and now I'm teaching grade 11 and he thought he was too old to be my student. Um, uh, and so, but it's that the foundation that elementary teachers have is phenomenal. You model it, you guide it, and then it's independent. And when you look at academics, teachers follow that all the way through, right? All the way up into grade 12. What some people forget is you have to do that with the, the behaviors in the classroom as well and with the management, right down to how you speak to, to the kids, how you speak to other staff in front of the kids, the words that you use really creates that. So when I'm online and teaching those grade nines and I say something, I say, hey, that's really interesting. When I said that, I recognize that this is my experience and this is my bias coming in to my opinion. I've modeled it for the kids. Self-talk when it happens. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important to self-talk and it's it's the most unnatural thing in the world (laughs) for some people to do, but until you practice it and do it yourself and and you make it natural. Well, I'm connecting this to a practice that Kelly Gallagher, you know, um, another phenomenal teacher in the U.S. there, talked about with writing and modeling writing for students. Mm-hmm. And he said, you're the best writer in the room, and you have to model that. And one thing you should do is talk out loud about your writing process as you're doing it for the students so they can see where you're at. And I thought, oh, my God, I talk to myself all the time. I'll just do it in front of my students now, which... I also have to filter, but (laughs) but you bring up a good point. Cause like one thing I do every morning with my English uh, class now, my students is we do quick writes We have a mentor text and then I do it with them. And I explain, Oh, you know what? This reminds me of growing up in my neighborhood where it was very like, you know, it was supposed to be a crappy neighborhood, the poor end of the city. And we weren't looked down upon. And this is kind of what I thought about it. And and so I, I like that you're bringing that up. Like you're actually talking out loud to the students so they can recognize, oh, 
okay, this is where that bias is coming from. That's that's neat. Is that something? Anything that. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, anything that we learn, we follow that transition. That's how babies learn. They watch their parents, right? That's how kids learn how to speak. They listen to their parents do it, and then their parents support them doing it. And now they can speak. So it's such a natural progression. Is it something that you notice that after a while the students start doing? They start to like check themselves when they're when they're if they say something, they're like, "Hey, and this, you know, I got that from here." Um, do do you start to notice things like that happen when you're doing it? Once in a while, not so yeah. much, and and I. I attribute that to the age group that I yeah. teach. They're not as confident to do it. Okay. Is that something that you can, is it something you can build into? Like, obviously you're doing social studies, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe at the grade nine level, is it something that you can, uh, maybe you give an assignment like a, like a source analysis or something. Is it something where you can take that same source analysis after it's been graded and stuff like that and give it back to them and say, now find where the bias is in yourself on your own work? Do you think that would be something where students would be able to kind of explore their independent thinking in a way that recognizes bias? Like, is that something that you would do? Absolutely. Actually, that was exactly what I've been planning to do. I've been so fortunate with this grade nine group that... Um, there's, uh, we're talking about immigration right now and they're so passionate about it because I have tons of students who are immigrants in that class. For sure. And so ha- want to talk about bias? Holy, they have it immensely. But again, it doesn't mean that it's negative. It just means it drives their opinion. And so we've been talking a lot about, oh, that's your opinion. What is your bias in that? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, I'm an immigrant. <laughs> so that's why I think this way. <laughs> Good job. And that, but even that, that's just, a, that's a huge statement that pushes to opportunity, community, uh, connections, loss, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff. Um, because I think when we start to recognize our bias, we really start to churn up the waters and they become a little murky for us. Um, and sometimes we have to do what I think is one of the hardest things that we ever have to do. And that's look in the mirror at ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I always say that, you know, at the end of the day, you still have to get into bed with you. <laughs> and uh, I, I think when we start to think about our biases, that really makes us think like, you know, am I the person who I think I am? Uh, I think I think it's important work. And I think it's, I think it's difficult when you say like, when you say like, I, you know, I'm teaching and I stopped myself and I said, Hey, this is where that comes from. Um, you know, that's, that's tricky. Uh, that's really tricky, especially when you say, I said this thing and I don't know where that came from, you know, that can explore it. it. Yeah. That can be some difficult work. Yeah. Self-reflection. Another thing in university, I rolled my eyes at because they drove it down our throats. But it's something that, you know, I use as a teacher every single day. And it's actually one of the most effective professional development tools in your arsenal. If you spend five minutes at the end of every day, just reflecting on how the day went, and you do this every day, you will learn more from that then any workshops you can sign up for, any books you can read, you will learn so much about yourself. And I think, I think with, to... with the exception of, and the hits keep coming and transforming the heart, you'll learn more from them. Well, and teaching us <laughs> the curriculum. Immortal universe. <clears throat> yeah. So anyway, don't check of a 90s heartbreak, you know, all these other books, but uh, actually speaking, hey, speaking, of bo- speaking of books, no, actually I, that, 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 that triggered something as well is uh, we talk about the unbiased classroom and, and independent thinking. And you say you let students you know, pick their own books and talk on that. Mm-hmm. Even the selection of materials we bring into the classroom. D- d- that Does that not have an influence on uh, how we go about the lesson? Like we have a bias bringing it in to share with them. Like we, we have a set agenda and, and students can come back at us and say, well, I know you asked us to read this, but I didn't want to, and I wanted to do this instead. Like, do you see a lot of that happening in your room? I don't. If I say you have to read this, then they do. But I, I like, there's, I, I was at least provide choice 
when like at least when I'm teaching language arts, it's that like I do book clubs, like the literature circles where it's like, here are six books to choose from. Which one do you want to do? And I'll put you in a group. You choose your top three and you're going to get one of those. And so mm -hmm. there's at least choice in that manner. But then there's also personal reading where I put no limitations on it. That's not true. I do put limitations. I usually <laughs> say, please choose something that is, that is at least close to your reading level. <laughs> so if they're trying to like read children's books all day long, I'm like, okay, can you just try to like push yourself a little? Like mm -hmm. read them sometimes. Children's books are amazing, but you know, try and expand your knowledge. So, but I love, like there are some really fantastic books that the content is questionable and people aren't quite sure about it. Um, there's a book called Speak, the novel, and it deals with um, sexual assault. I, I had it on my bookshelf teaching grade eight for years. I had, I think, two students in eight years pick that book up and read it. And, and after they came to me, they're like, miss, oh my God, this is amazing. And then I got to like dish with them about it because no one else read it. And it was, it was so taboo that it's like, they didn't even want to pass the book along to their friends. Whereas like Hunger Games was like something that like killing people. They're like, yeah, let's pass that book around. And mm -hmm. And but as soon as it's something real, they're it's like they they wanted to process it themselves. Let's 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 marry these two uh, ways of thinking here. So independent thinkers in an unbiased classroom. What gets accomplished when that happens and how do we how do we get there and what gets accomplished when it happens? Um, what gets accomplished? Anything and everything. You have a group of students who demonstrate respect. They trust. Um, they don't have fear of sharing their opinion and therefore they can explore their opinions. And that's really important for youth is being able to explore and say it and then be able to change their mind if they start to explore it and realize that that's not the path that they actually wanted to go down and allowing them to turn back and go, you know what, guys, I, I'm, I'm rethinking that. Let me back up. Let me think some more on this. And there's so much learning that happens when kids share their opinions and you push them to get that, the, the backup for it and the examples and, and the support to, to support their opinions, now you're teaching them how to be an adult in society, how to look up information and all of these different skills and how to talk to each other with respect. Huge. Wow. Like that right, right there. Huge. Well, even that, if that was the only outcome of it would be huge. But hey, Vito, guess what time it is? It's my favorite time of the week. It's everyone's favorite time. It is it is the it is the it is the season 1 finale pulse and points. Pulse and We're points. talking about pulse and points. So, uh to our listeners out there, we've been talking with Melissa Highfield tonight and she's been just wonderful. She's been sharing a lot with us about unbiased in our classrooms and cultivating and and guiding independent thinkers. And, on, and, and really tonight, um, the pulse and points from uh, Melissa is sometimes it's okay to not have some big, huge story behind what you're doing, because if it fits, it fits. And sometimes you just got to go with that because others might see things in you that you don't even see. So just take those opportunities when they come your way. Um, sometimes you have to love to argue and voice your opinions so that you can challenge people to voice their opinions in, in a proper and appropriate way. Allow students to express their opinions, but challenge them on them so that you can guide them and start small to give them a voice. 
when we're looking at unbiased and when we're looking at independent thinkers, groundwork is absolutely key. It's so important to be real, to give students ownership. Relationship building is key to getting there. And if huge, huge vibes here from Melissa Highfield, if you listen and understand, you have to speak less. And here's the thing um, in terms of being completely unbiased, you know, you heard it here. Uh, Melissa Highfield, wonderfully articulated. There's no such thing, but it's about recognizing what we have because biased is based on our experience. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing if we recognize it, especially when we're the teacher. Because students, what they need at the end of the day is they need a leader and our guidance is key. And we can be good leaders when self-reflection becomes crucial to our practice because behaviors in management of ourself and in our classroom, when we model it, when we guide it, we make it independent so we can talk it out and recognize it. And finally, and, and I'd say most importantly, when we can recognize th these things that Melissa was talking with us to, uh, about tonight, that in our classrooms, anything and everything can be accomplished. So say goodbye to fear, say goodbye to uh, the lack of trust and, and say goodbye to worrying about failure, but say hello to trust. Say hello to freedom and say hello to risk-taking in learning. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, Melissa Highfield tonight, absolutely fabulous talking to us about unbiased in our lives, in our practices, and really cultivating independent learners. Huge vibes for Melissa Highfield. And thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm going to turn it over to Vito now. Yeah, well, I just want to thank you again, Melissa. I love how we just took it right to the ground level and we went right for what happens in the classroom and how it feels in the ground. So Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this uh, finale of the Unapologist podcast. We really appreciate you having you here. Thank you for the invitation. I had a great time. Oh, so glad. Finally, somebody did. Finally, someone's <laughs> given us. Hey, finally, someone didn't say that was the worst hour of my life. Can God, I please have that worry. back? Anyway, uh, and Chris, you know what? This is this is it for this season, man. It's season one in the bag. Season, season, season one. one. It's done. And we just want to thank all of you who have been listening to us and following us and supporting us. We we really appreciate all the feedback we've been getting, the amount of people who have been listening in, suggesting, downloading, wanting to be on the show. We, we absolutely love it. We're so excited to start up season two. We're going to be taking a break for the holidays because, well, we need a break. Uh, just from everything for a while. And we're just, we're pumped to come back season two. We already have it. So many slots booked. Fantastic guest list. Fantastic. Like our guest list is just growing. The, the list is phenomenal and you're going to love what's coming up. And, uh, and really, you know, from Vito and I to everyone who supported this, uh, either through being our families and giving us the time to do it or just the people who are listening and sending us emails and nice comments from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. And thank you. For joining us this season on the Unapologist podcast. Join us next season when we'll talk with great people, learn new ideas, and tell the story of teaching as it happens. This is Vito and Chris signing off. The Unapologist Podcast.